0: On today's episode, we are joined by Jane Gasparian Lee, Managing Director of United for Business. From her early days at Yes Associates to impactful roles at PEP, including an international marketing assignment, her journey took an unexpected yet exciting turn when she joined United Airlines just before the pandemic, spearheading B2B marketing. The episode explores Jane's dynamic career, emphasizing the power of storytelling in marketing and the the unique challenges of the travel and hospitality industries. It's great to see you, Jane. I'm excited that
1: you're here today. Tell us about yourself and about your career. My name is Jane. I lead the B2B marketing team at United Airlines. And I've had a great career that's taken many unexpected turns. None of us really go into it knowing exactly what we're going to do. And it's fun to discover where you end up in your career and your life. I remember a stat that an average people end up going from three to four careers in a lifetime. So far, I've done two. And I'm excited to see what the next two might be. I started my career at a consulting firm called Yes Associates out of undergrad. It was a job that was based in Chicago, and that's where I wanted to end up. I literally was researching what is a consulting firm and how do you prepare for a consulting interview. <laughs> a little bit naive. That ended up being an absolutely amazing place to start my career. You learn all about analytics and how to leverage data to solve problems. It was just such a great foundation that enabled the rest of my career. From there, I wanted to get an MBA. And I went to Northwestern University. I wanted to get into marketing. And that's where Julie and I started our careers at PepsiCo. And it was really exciting working on these great brands. I worked on Doritos brand. And to this day, my kids give me so much street cred for having worked on Doritos. They want to know all about the flavors that I brought to market. They're constantly still asking me questions about it. I was able to leverage my data analytics skills, but then I had to learn how to tell a story. In a marketing position, it's not about the data, it's the story coming out of that data. So I really had to learn how to take my analytical abilities, but then build it into a story. And so did several positions within PepsiCo, including actually an expat assignment where I was able to launch a global portfolio specifically for the Chinese market. When I came back from that assignment, I had this feeling of, wow, that was my career goal. That's what I've always said I wanted to do. I've said I wanted to do international marketing and I wanted to launch a US product in a foreign market. And I had done that. It was a moment of reckoning. Maybe I didn't set my dreams big enough. I was a little bit stuck and not knowing the next step. I was lucky enough to be approached by an opportunity with United Airlines. That was completely out of my comfort zone. It was a new industry, a new company. It was a new function, too. It was B2B marketing, supporting the sales team with building up a B2B marketing team. They took a chance on me and I took a chance on the opportunity and it's been fantastic. I joined about three months before the pandemic and I'm loving being part of this travel and hospitality industry.
0: That's great. When I think of brand management and our shared experiences managing various brands and businesses across consumer product companies, I often think about all of the touch points. There's an aspect of consumer marketing, B2C, when it comes to television, radio, traditional or non-traditional media. But there's also that B2B or business aspect related to selling products in and innovating as it relates to various distribution channels like grocery stores, convenience stores, mass market
1: and others. Tell us what you mean by B2B. B2B, like you said, is obviously business to business. So we think about how do we as United Airlines interact with other businesses, right? And interestingly, all of my B2C fundamentals still very much apply. It's about understanding the customer, it's understanding where they are to find them in the right moment at the right time to deliver the right message. A lot of the fundamentals are absolutely the same. But to your point, the channels, the mess are different based on the goals of the particular company. For us at United, our customers are corporations and travel agencies and a few others, but those are the key ones. And when we talk to those businesses, we use that B2B brand, which is United for Business. It leveraging the unique channels, for example, for B2C. Campaigns. We maybe lean into Instagram and Facebook. For our B2B campaigns, we primarily lean into LinkedIn. There's other examples in terms of paid media in B2C. For B2B, we lean into our trade publications like Business Travel News or Travel Week, a publication directed towards travel advisors. The fundamentals are the same, but the channels and the message are different. And so that's what it means for us at United for Business.
0: So it sounds like you've really built this business within the larger United Airlines business. How did you know what to prioritize when you had a pretty big blank canvas there and what does it look
1: like now? Yeah, it was a really blank canvas. I joined a team of eight individuals who are primarily focused on communication. They focused on Broad messages that went out to everyone via email or through our salespeople. I recently made a from two slide for my leadership team. And the from is that GIF of Oprah that says email for everyone. <laughs> right? So we're just handing out like everyone gets an email, right? Like that, that's all we wore. Everyone gets an email. When I joined, I was able to use my brand management fundamentals to take a step back. And one thing I realized is that my team was organized by channel. I had someone that was focused on our website, someone that was focused on our social media strategy, and someone that was focused email. Coming from that brand management background where we were focused on a particular product and delivering a financial number off of that product, I reorganized my team based on the customer group and the customer objective. So I now have A business retention team that's focused on our current customers and ensuring that we are leveraging the cross-selling, upselling opportunities and retaining our current customers. I now have a team focused on new business development that I literally say, all I want you to ever think about is how do I get a new customer through the door? One of the biggest changes that I've made is really getting my team to think about not just being successful in their particular channel, and delivering the best metrics of engagement in their channel. But thinking bigger than that, thinking through a particular objective, a business objective that we're trying to deliver and reorganizing them against specific customer groups to help us achieve those objectives. We had an email provider, but we really needed to build a bigger marketing tech stack around it to ensure that my team had the right tools to deliver on those objectives. And now have a team of 25. So the team grew from eight to 25. We're continuing to expand the scope of the team. We now have elements of the go to market strategy that allow us to think more cohesively. The product team is now within my group. Really starts with that classic marketing innovation and activation cycle that Julie, you are familiar from our brand is of you identify. customer segment that you want to focus on. You understand their needs, even ensure that you have the right product to address those needs. And then you actually market it and bring it to market. That entire team is within my group now from product to marketing to events. Absolutely.
0: You certainly lead a large group of people. What does your day-to-day look like as a B2B managing director at United Airlines?
1: Every day is different. It's interesting because it shifts. I essentially have four to five different teams reporting into me. I have to be really focused on the priority for right now, for today. What is the priority for this week? Also, I can't lose sight of the long term and what do I really need to continue to build to make sure that my team is successful. I found works really well for me is a notebook that's not just a general to-do list. But a to do list, I'm organized by the day. So I can plan out what my week looks like. I have to be really focused. And Fridays tend to be the days that are a little bit lighter. So every Friday, there is a to do list on my list that it's called project list. Project list is like my parking lot of stuff that I know needs to get done in the long term. And I give myself the time to focus and look at the project list. I'm constantly also thinking how else can I push? What can I learn about? What's a new project that the team can start to continue to build a vision for where the team needs to go? And so that's my project this time on Fridays. A more practical answer to your question involves a lot of meetings. (laughs) It does involve a lot of travel, um, which has been really fun. Obviously, working for an airline, getting on a plane is no big deal for us because we get to do it for free. Usually, I mean, pretty much weekly or biweekly travel just interacting with the team and having a lot of discussions. And so you've realized, too, the more senior you get, how little you're actually doing in terms of physically producing work. And I think that was a big adjustment for me, too, coming into a role where I went from managing only a couple of people to managing a lot of people. A lot of my time is spent coaching, having conversations, thinking, pushing on things and making sure the team is successful. As a leader, what are the key skills that you've
0: leveraged in this role?
1: I still think that the most critical skill now and forever will be your ability to connect with people and to build relationships. There's no way to get around that. And sounds like you've learned that from your own career and from the work that you do. That is essential, especially when you're coming into a new role. And a new company, and especially I came into a company that has 10 years into the 20 and 30 years at United. It was really incredibly important to come in humble, come in ready to learn, come in with the desire to build relationships and show where you can deliver value for those people. I personally think is going to continue to be even more important as we get into the future for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think organizations are going to continue to get matrixed we're moving away from the traditional hierarchies and building matrix organizations where you're going to have to collaborate and influence people that don't have that direct reporting relationship. Younger generations are going to expect us as leaders to care about them as people, to build relationships with them, to find ways to motivate them and keep them engaged. Through the relationship and that mentorship and Coaching ability versus direct. The world is just going to continue to get more complex, and we're not going to know the right answer. And you just have to be able to structure the problem and move forward. And the third one storytelling. Storytelling is part of who we are as people. That's how we connect, that's how we communicate. And I was a learning early on in my career because I started in a very analytics heavy environment. I didn't value the importance of telling stories through the data. And that just continues to be a lesson every time I'm in meetings and I'm learning and watching people do an amazing job telling a story and maybe others struggling and not being successful in getting the funding because they're not able to tell the story. It's not even necessarily that their idea has less merit. They're just not able to effectively communicate it by building the right story around it. Relationship building is a
0: critical skill for everyone. What are the ways in which you help your kids develop relationship building skills?
1: That's such a great question. And it's honestly, it's one of those things that I think we all as parents worry over at night because you want your kids to be happy. You want them to be able to build successful and healthy relationships. I have two kids, a son and a daughter. They obviously need to work on their relationship or constantly leveraging How they interact with each other as lessons. You did this in a situation. Like imagine how that made him feel. So really learning about empathy by asking them to put each other in the opposite situation. How would you feel if your sister did that to you? Or how would you feel if your brother did that to you? So leveraging their relationship for in the moment training or coaching. When they're in that moment, they develop a sense of empathy. I'm very lucky that my kids share a lot of things with me, especially my daughter. My daughter shares her frustrations with relationships and we talk and we talk a lot. I try to share my advice. I try to help her see things from a slightly different perspective. This is my experience. This is what I believe is right. And you hope that you're giving the right advice and you're giving the right information. Absolutely. With my kids, especially with
0: my older one, I always joke that, or at least in my head, I'm a first-time mom. So the first one is the guinea pig. We can lean on the books, we can lean on the experts, and we can lean on our lived experiences. One of my favorite books is Getting Things Done. What I love about the book Getting Things Done is that it's not about, hey, what is the entire Gantt chart or what are all the next steps in a project and what do they look like? It's what is the single next step that I need to take in order to move this forward? When looking at it from that point of view, I find that I don't get as overwhelmed with thinking about all of the things on the to-do list, but just that single next step. And like you, staying organized, time blocking, day part blocking for me as well. So what time of the day? is better for recording a podcast versus what time of day is better for looking at an Excel spreadsheet. I believe that every single task needs to tie back to a time. So if a task is actually important, Mm -hmm. it needs to be in my calendar so I know when I'm actually going to accomplish it because otherwise, there is very little time in the day
1: for it to get... I totally agree and I laugh because and got an email about a sample sale that I'm interested in trying to make this time around. And if I don't put it in my calendar, I'm just not going to go and it's going to leave and I put it in my calendar. I'm going to try to go to the sale. And it seems so silly. But if you don't calendarize it and you don't make an intention to try to find a time in your life for it, then it's just not going to happen. So I really, really...
0: Absolutely. All of the priorities all go into one calendar, minor online. I love the Apple iPhone calendar integrations. They're all color coded with specifics for whose baseball game is it? Whose soccer (laughs) game is it? Whose basketball game? Where is it taking place? Oh, and it just so happens that the Botanical Gardens has this event on the same day. So I love integrating those things as well. In terms of books that you enjoy,
1: what is your favorite book? I read all sorts of stuff. And I'm trying to read more. I'm finding that, to your point, there's a certain amount of time. I'm finding that podcasts are taking over my reading. But unfortunately, I listen to terrible podcasts about true crime and reality TV. So they're not really filling indication. my cup of It's purely entertainment. But I have a funny story about a book, to your point, about talking to your kids. A book that my pediatrician recommended. And it's a classic book. It's called How to Talk... So, your kids will listen and how to listen so your kids will talk. And I had that book on my nightstand and my daughter picked it up and she said, Oh, mom, you're doing this. I'm getting some advice. Hopefully, you think I'm doing a good job. And she looks at me, looks at the book, goes, I think you should keep reading. (laughs) 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 Kids can be brutally honest. Yes, for sure. So, that's a book that I really enjoyed. And I like the fact that there's spaces in the book to take your own notes and gives you tasks and things to practice. So in terms of communicating with your kids, I think that's a really fantastic book. Other than that, I really like historical fiction novels. I enjoy reading interesting stories that do have some tie to what actually happened in history. I'm now reading a book about Ernest Hemingway's first wife, Hadley Richardson. So it's more about their love story, but it's based on some true facts. Sometimes you're really about self-help and sometimes you're really about entertainment. Sometimes you're really about building some knowledge with a particular area of business. But right now, I'm somewhat in the historical fiction phase of reading. Nice.
0: And it sounds like that really relates to your third point about leadership and skills of the future related to storytelling. And it sounds like each of these have really powerful stories and the leadership lessons.
1: I think you're right. And maybe that's what draws me to them as well. There is really beautiful storytelling. And again, it just makes you realize that history can be interesting if it's still through the lens of an interesting story. So there's definitely a lesson in there with that.
0: And with your awesome perk of getting free travel, does your family ever get to go with you as well? And is this a time that you are enjoying these books? and podcasts.
1: Yes. Yes. And we are very fortunate to get some travel benefits and we do try to take advantage of them as a family, the way that it works at United at my level. So if we travel totally free. We have to rely on standby travel. So if there's a seat available, we hop on. Um, and so just recently, my son had really wanted to go to the new Super Nintendo World and actually had a meeting in LA. So I saw a bunch of open flights. We picked him up early from school, hopped on a plane and surprised him going to LA to go to Super Nintendo World. We had an amazing day together. I do travel a lot, but finding time to create those really special moments I hope that's something that my son remembers always that I took the time to spend the day with just him. And then the fun thing about travel, too, is we're always thinking of possibilities. It's fun to dream and it's fun to have those opportunities to do impromptu things because it's relatively easy. That is awesome. And what are the tips
0: that you have for parents out there who travel with their kids? What are the key items you are bringing along with you or... How do you keep your kids entertained, sitting in their seats, not kicking the chair in front of them, perhaps?
1: What are some of those travel tips that you might have?: Oh my gosh, I've traveled a ton with my kids just for context. We moved to Shanghai, China, as I mentioned, in an men assignment, when I was seven months pregnant with my second, so we were wow. actually living in Asia with two young kids, and we knew it was going to be temporary, so we traveled all over Asia with very little kids. And then we came back and still had that travel bug. So I've traveled with my kids everywhere, in economy, in first, all over Asia. Europe is the only place they haven't been to yet. My kids are a little bit older. Also, they're seven and almost 10. But still, for long flights, I just bring a variety of activities. They have the access to their iPads. I make sure that their United app is downloaded because there's additional content there if they get bored with what they already have downloaded on their iPad. I still bring coloring pages and crayon. My kids are really into those different word puzzle things. I'll bring a book of that, of course, lots of snacks. So just a variety of stuff. (laughs) And now that they're older, I also engage them in packing it. So they have their own little backpacks with their water bottles with their snacks. And I think if they are choosing what they're bringing, they're more engaged in actually playing with that activity or carrying the bag that they packed because they were part of selecting what goes in it and they're responsible for what goes on that plane. We actually talk about the destination too and we look at things together. We try to read up on things and we decide activities that we do together. So in the pre-planning of the trip, getting them excited about destination, using that as an opportunity to learn and talk and discuss what we like as a family. The plane is just a small part of the entire adventure.
0: And so for the airlines, tell me about that business model. The airline industry is looking at the route and filling the seats and making sure that the cost structure makes sense. We often see these announcements when we're buying a ticket and it says there's only one ticket left at this price. And it certainly motivates me to buy this ticket before the price goes up. So
1: tell me about the business model for the airline industry. It's incredibly complex and I have learned a lot. The biggest thing about to think about an airline is the second that place takes off, there's no way to ever get revenue for that empty seat that was on that flight. So it's incredibly important that every single plane maximizes the revenue that we can bring to the airline because it's actually an incredibly low margin business. It was a huge shock to me. It takes so much to operate an airline. So many people, so much fuel. These airplanes that cost bajillions of dollars, right? So it is a really tough business. It is a low margin business versus what I remember from my Quaker days. One of the first online classes you take when you join is airline economics. And I'm shocked noting the margins we get off of a Quaker canister of oats versus what we get as an airline. So we have a team called revenue management and it's their job to ensure that we maximize the revenue on that plane. And it's incredibly complicated because you obviously want to sell tickets early enough to give you confidence that you're going to fill that plane, but you do want to leave a little bit of room for those last-minute business travels or people that want to book at the last minute and maybe would be willing to pay a higher price because they're booking that last-minute ticket. So balancing availability with demand, knowing that the second that plane takes off, if the seat is empty, that's lost revenue. It's incredibly challenging because you have to think about what is the absolute best dollars you can get for every seat on a particular route. Wow, that is really
0: interesting so what does the future look like in the airline industry and what is happening in terms of innovation
1: united airlines we're doing a ton of innovation to improve the digital customer experience and we're really focused on the app it's all about improving the customer experience through technology and we think that's the future of the airline we're always are going to be about connecting people and uniting the world but how do you do it in a more seamless way our CEO is super passionate about sustainability. He has seven kids and he wants to leave this world in a good place for his seven kids. So there's a lot of innovation around sustainable aviation fuel and how do we reduce the emissions that we're putting into the air through the jet fuel that we fly, which is by far our biggest contributor to CO2 emissions. And so that's really where our innovation is focused on the technology to improve the customer experience and on sustainability to hopefully leave this planet in good hands for our kids. Some people find flying to be less desirable. Do you think in the future
0: that there will be electric planes or the ability to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory (laughs) be able to beam ourselves to a different location?
1: I certainly hope so. And as United Airlines, we will be happy to do that for your mission. We'll always be unite, connecting people, uniting the world. And however that is, whether that's with electric planes or beaming, I'm sure we'll be there and we'll focus on that innovation. So yes, it's hard to say, obviously, what the future is going to hold, but I do believe in our lifetime, there's going to be some movement towards electric planes and a smaller footprint. But based on what we understand of batteries and what it takes to get a plane up in the air, it's going to be a long time before we'll be able to fully replace the more traditional airplane. So...
0: For families out there that are passionate about transportation and airlines in particular, what resources would you suggest?
1: That's such a great question. It's typically challenging to get into a career in aviation from the standpoint of becoming a pilot because it does require a lot of investment. And we recognize that at United Airlines. We just started venture called the Aviate Academy. We give people the opportunity to get some training, get into the simulator, and learn how to fly an airplane to set them up for that first career move coming out of the Aviate Academy. It's not often with United Airlines. We do require more flight hours, but it gives them that first step into a career as a pilot. What is the best advice that you have received,
0: perhaps from a mentor or a
1: boss along the way? I've received some really great advice, but one piece of advice is actually from my Northwestern classmate. Think about a job opportunity or your current position, not always in terms of what I can do for them, but also in terms of what am I getting out of this experience. A daughter of immigrants, right? So you come from a very traditional background. You do a job, you're trying to do the best for the company. You get your salary, and that's where it ends. And that sort of flipped it on its head for me. It really made me think I shouldn't be valued. I have valuable things to bring to the company. So how do I think about what do I need to get out of the opportunity or out of the position? How do I continue to learn? How do I continue to develop? And really approach each position through that lens. What do I need to get out of this experience in order to continue to be a strong professional? And that's how I evaluate future opportunities too. What am I getting out of this position? And what would I get if I were to switch roles or go to a new company? And it can be different things at different times in your career, in your life. When I had young kids, I think I was more focused on, am I getting the right work-life balance? Now, Now, as the kids are getting older, that isn't the number one priority anymore. I find other ways to have focus and quality time with my kids without necessarily having to be Available twenty four seven. I think what you need changes, but it's important to always ask yourself, "What am I getting out of this, and what do I need to get out of this to continue to be successful in my career?" And fourth,
0: what advice do you wish that you could give your younger self?
1: I think I would give the advice. Of my younger self is, "It's fine. You'll be fine." I think when you're early on in your career, we get so worried. I remember back in our free Dolly days, there was something that would go wrong that looking back at it now is so minor, but you would just get so stressed. You would just bend for days and be so worried. And I think I would have just had given myself more grace, and I would have maybe handled some situations with more poise. Mistakes do happen. Stressful things happen. And as you get more in your career, you just realize... Get even more stressful and you make bigger mistakes, but that's part of it. You just have to give yourself grace, handle everything with poise and it's all going to be all right. That's the advice I would give myself.
0: Excellent. I can understand that earlier in our careers and often when I speak with executives, we are discussing, Hey, I haven't heard back from this person in weeks. It must be a no. These are the stories that we're telling ourselves that aren't even necessarily true. And so just last week, this woman called me and said, hey, I haven't heard back from anyone. I assume I'm not getting these positions. This is not going well. What would you advise? And I said, follow up with them. Give them a call. The answer isn't necessarily no. It's a little weird, the other from in a few weeks. And she called them up and said, oh, we absolutely still consider you an active candidate and are excited that you're continuing the process. So...
1: We do tell ourselves these stories that may not actually be true. Totally. Or you might be telling us a story, if I don't get this job, it'll be horrible and this is the best opportunity and I must have this job. That's another story. And then maybe that candidate wasn't successful and that also would be okay because there'd be another opportunity around the corner. We often convince ourselves that if X doesn't happen, then it's the end of the world. And the reality is it's not. There's many opportunities and many different paths that your life can take.
0: I love that. Great examples and great stories, Jane. You're amazing. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for having me. Subscribe to our podcast and social media channels. And as extra credit, if you feel so inclined, give us a thumbs up or share our episode on social media channels at the Little MBA.